Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Floyd May. Floyd, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this chat. So before we get started, could you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. So uh, I run a small software consulting company called Canyon Trail. I've been writing software professionally for about 21, getting close to 22 years. Um, my knee hurts just saying that. Um, I've uh, put a few courses up on Pluralsight as well. So um, primarily, I'd, I've just been writing code and then leading teams. And then eventually, I decided to make a business out of it because I was having so much fun just sort of helping one organization to the next to the next. And I just kind of wanted to do that full time. Hmm. Oh, wait. So so over that sort of two decade span, were you uh, full-time employee or in-house or was it? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I was full-time employee, um, kind of a wide variety of different kinds of organizations, consultancies, product shops, um, government, internal IT. So just kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you, when did you go solo or not solo, but when did you go out on your own? Um, about three years ago. So the, the three-year mark was November. So I'm a little over three years. Oh, so a newbie. Yes. <laughs> so yes. All right. And uh, just for context, what is there a, a particular platform that, you know, what kind of software developer would you say you, you are where the firm specializes in, if anything? Um, we're, we're really targeting uh, small to medium business and, and startups, which I, I know is, uh, is kind of an interesting target. I think primarily we do that because um, they're the easiest kinds of people to work with, especially in, in the way that we like to engage, where we, we sort of lean towards what I call an operating expense or OPEX model. Mm -hmm. um, rather than sort of a project-based model. And and there's there are a number of reasons why I try to engage in that way. And that's easier with startups or? Yeah, I, I feel like it is because startups are such a dynamic environment where um, you head in a particular direction because you think there's value in this direction. And so you start building software, you start building infrastructure and sort of doing some, even some organizational design around, here's, here's this business, this business is underpinned by some, amount of software, but there are also some sort of organizational things that, that need to be in place and process things that need to be in place. And then we go for a while. And if you're familiar with like the lean startup um, approach, mm -hmm. you reach a point where you get where you have to make a pivot. And when you make that pivot, okay, now value is over in this other direction. And it has implications to the software that needs to be built, the software that probably needs to be retired, as well as some of the organizational stuff. And rather than sort of hiding behind okay we're just the software people this is all we do we try to try to branch out and help them sort of marry up here's the tech and here's how this tech marries up with your organization mm -hmm. okay so the that that sounds very familiar and i'm sure listeners are going to be familiar with that the startups kind of like hunting around for product product market fit and not really knowing what the you know what or if there will be a payoff at some point in the distant future but tell, can you tell me a little bit more about your your uh, small to medium businesses? Are they all startups or do you do, I got the impression that you did like some back office stuff for more traditional or, or legacy style businesses. Is that true or not true? Yes. Yes. So um, we do some like line of business type software. So, you know, internal software where there's something that's really there isn't really something in the market that that fits well. You can't just buy a you know a piece of software off the shelf for like a professional services firm or for you know this kind of business or that kind of business and just sort of drop it in. It really requires some custom work. Um, and a lot of that, I mean, the the shape of it is a little different, but um, 
in effect, the same thing is true. Um, the software and the business processes sort of have to grow and evolve in, in a balanced relationship. What's an example of like a, a recent client that like what kind of business were they in? And, and I'm curious if they had, so I've got a long history in building workflow software for businesses and, and maybe it was just the kind of clients I had, but they, the internal processes were maybe paper-based or something, um, often uh, be paper-based or maybe Excel or something like that. They knew what their process was. They just wanted uh, a, a bespoke software solution that sort of streamlined the whole thing uh, and maybe offered some reporting, some visibility into the pipeline, all of that sort of stuff. Is that different than the, are you working with maybe more businesses that don't are newer maybe and don't know what their processes are? Is it more like a co collaborative, uh, almost like a management consulting thing where you're helping them work out what their systems should be in the first place and then turning that into code? What, what's that look like? Well, I, I love your framing because that gives me a, a great springboard to sort of talk about what I do. And so um, what you just described is absolutely true of um, like, for instance, one of our one of our biggest clients. And um, it, it is sort of an, an internal line of business app where really this this is this is the digital equivalent of doing paper based processes. And what's what's interesting, either migrating away from an older version of it or migrating away from paper-based processes, what's almost always true is that as a business grows and evolves, the things that keep the bills paid and keep the lights on five years ago are the things that we should not be doing today because we should we should have grown and evolved past some of those things. And so there, there's these evolutionary stages that businesses go through where um you know, when you're small, you kind of have to wear a lot of hats. And then when you get to be sort of medium sized, you're going to have to find the balance between we've got to wear a lot of hats, but we've also got to sort of put process and structure in place because you can't completely rely on individuals and interactions, just sort of figuring that stuff out. And so the process sort of helps safeguard things. Then when you get even larger, you start having regulatory compliance things and you have to be a little bit more, more specific and more, more detailed. And what you usually find is that the software you know, if, if you if you engage in in building software in, in this scenario, um, you know, you conceive of here's this paper based process or here's this existing system that we want to replace um, the conception of that, turning it into a real working software system. You almost always learn stuff. You learn a ton as a as a part of um, building that system. And most of the things that you learn are here are these areas of friction between here's how the software works or here's how we thought we wanted the software to work. And here's how the real world connects with that. Mm -hmm. And what do we do with it? Do we just keep charging forward and making it exactly like we initially conceived it? Or do we want to consider maybe if we make some shifts to our internal processes and some shifts to what we thought we were going to build with the software, it would be less expensive, more productive, et cetera. Yep. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, okay. So what, well, how long, I mean, you've only been in business for three years. So mm -hmm. how, how long do you, like, what's a, is it too soon to say, or or what is a typical engagement? So you said you don't do projects. Maybe you could kind of expand on that and then also explain what your relationship looks like with the clients in, in terms of like a duration. Is this sort of an open-ended, you know, external team that they essentially don't want to build in-house and you just handle their software needs on an ongoing basis like forever or like what's the what's the length of the relationship what is the nature sure of it? 
Yeah. And, and yes, of course, ideally forever would be, would be fantastic. Um, but we live in the real world. And so we, you know, we have to deal with, you know, clients come and clients go. And, and that goes into, you know, sort of how I do my pricing model. Um, it's pretty common for, for businesses that don't have, you know, software development capabilities in house. They think, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some software because, and I'm going to pay for somebody to build some software for us. And so they think of it similarly to how you might say, I'm going to have somebody build me a house, or I'm going to, you know, have, have some custom machinery built for me so that I can do this, this manufacturing thing or, or whatever it is. But generally the, they sort of conceive of it as I need to go purchase an asset. Right. And from a, from a budgeting perspective, a lot of times they think about it like, um, like a capital expenditure. I'm, I, I need this much capital and I, I need to invest it in my business so that I can buy this thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like a dump truck or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I, that I really try to communicate with my clients is that that's not really how good software development works. And you've got to think of it more as an operating expense model. So you're not buying an asset, you're paying for an ongoing expense that that is basically here's here's this chunk of our budget we're going to set aside and that that chunk of the budget that we're setting aside and treating as an operating expense is here's here's this machine that is a software development firm that is continually evolving the software to produce more and more and more value that's an interesting what does that do psychologically for them or or financially for them because it seems like you're turning a value creation activity into a cost, which is kind of the reverse of what I would normally expect. Well, and and that's one of the reasons why I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I, like I, I kind of wanted to hear your perspective on it and um, just sort of wanted to tease that out. And while I agree, yes, it's a cost kind of, and I haven't had a ton of these conversations. So, um, you know, you, you're getting it raw and unrefined here. <laughs> that's the way I like it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the framing that I kind of like to look at it as is here's here's your business. And if you think about your business, top line revenue is, you know, this big, let's say, you know, let's say it's a hundred million dollars or whatever. Yeah. Um, what's a reasonable portion of that business that you you think should be invested in continue continual growth in terms of like the software slash IT? Because like that that boundary gets a little weird between this is custom software and then there's this like internal IT thing because right. there's there's the technological marriage of software to organization. And that of course varies from organization to organization. Yeah. So, right. So is there, when you have a conversation with them about viewing it as an ongoing expense and not an investment in something that could perhaps be sold in the future, like you could sell a dump truck, uh, in theory, you could sell like, uh, you know, you could sell whatever the, whatever the hundred million dollar business is, you, Mm -hmm. they they could sell the business with this custom built internal system as part of the value of the business. So what, when you have this conversation with people, does it, is there like a light bulb moment with the client? Cause this is novel. I've never heard anybody talking about it, uh, software development in terms of like where, which budget the money is going to come from. So it does, I mean, it's interesting. And, but what does it do when you have that conversation? Are they just like, Oh, wow, that's a, that means we can afford it now versus they were thinking they couldn't afford it. Or is it really just setting expectations about the sort of boundless nature of the engagement? Well, I, I think, you know, sort of, sort of the guardrails of, of that conversation. And, and again, this is new. And so I haven't had a ton of them um, is like the territory we don't want to get into is, okay, they're just, they're just trying to bleed us dry and they're trying to bleed us dry in a different way than just sending us invoices that have tons and tons of hours on them. Um, so we don't want to get into that territory. Um, 
and then on on the opposite end of it you know the the way we do it is we say here's here's this flat fee that we charge um per share of our team's capacity and we send you an invoice for that each month and you've got that much of, of our team's capacity mm -hmm. and, and yeah how does that can you go into that a little bit like they must ask well what does that mean is that like x number of full-time like what does that mean yeah and and we get into it and you know part part of that conversation too is as my team is growing um their costs don't change and really that's just just a matter of of me making sure that i'm doing a good job of balancing here's here's where we're spending our time here's where we're spending our effort so that i can demonstrably um go back to my my clients and say well here are the things that we've been doing for you over the past week month whatever mm -hmm. and here's what the value is of those things okay so so you've got let's 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 go in-house a little bit here let's go inside so you've got sure. some number of full-time employees are they contractors or right right okay. fte okay and how many do you have just for a ballpark um i'm looking at I, I have three right now looking to add another one towards the end of the year okay great and when someone wants how does the conversation start someone someone is referred to you or something and how does it go from there um in terms of like closing the deal or finding out if it's a good fit or you know like figuring out what it is that they need is it like a right. scope kind of conversation or is it more of a value conversation what are they trying to achieve that kind of stuff yeah and that conversation really is is centered around the idea that software is never done um because it's a really bad sign if if the list of here's stuff that we want to do with the software here's stuff that we want to change if that list ever becomes empty that's bad because it means the software is no longer relevant it means nobody's thinking about, wouldn't it be cool if, or, you know, even more, wouldn't it be more valuable if, and then fill in the blank. There should be a relatively endless stream of that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm a software guy, so I can agree with that. But I can imagine someone who's like, well, we just need a POS. We just need our inventory system to accept fr fractions or something. So, you know, at some point, I guess the, I mean, you tell me, but it, it seems like, are, are any of these customers like using the software as the as their product or is it is these more just like streamlining workflows and things like that um a little of both and and some of that too is a qualifying conversation is is this a right fit mm -hmm. because if if they're like yeah that doesn't jive with me um that probably means they they want to engage in sort of a a, a project style approach where we're going to we're going to line out a, a, a an amount of scope and we're going to we're going to try to figure out okay how much is it going to cost for us to get to this much scope mm -hmm. and that's what we're going to do and that's not really the kind of work that i'm looking for right why is that um my experience with that sort of work has always been terrible okay in what way um at the beginning of a project is the moment of maximum ignorance you know the least about how this actually works and usually it's the human factors that that play into it um, no matter how detailed of, a, of say, a, a scope definition, a requirements document, or anything like that, no matter how detailed that stuff is at the very beginning of an engagement, one, there's a ton of effort that has to go into making it detailed enough that, that it would be reasonable to then try, try to assign like a timetable and or a price to it. The shape of what actually gets built in the real world as that project goes along and you take it to the to your customer you know every couple of weeks and you say is this kind of what you were looking for is this what you were what you were looking looking for 
that right. shape just changes drastically. I've never, ever, ever seen a software project, and I'm and I'm doing quotes in the air, even though you can't see me when I say the word project. <laughs> I've never seen a project work out where they scope it out well at the beginning, they build it according to the uh, according to the spec, according to the scope, and everybody's happy with it at the end. I've never seen that happen. No, me neither. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, I like your your phrase maximum ignorance at the beginning. That's true. It's totally true. But I, you know, just to interject for a second, because I know our, so we were sort of introduced by a mutual friend who was curious about about like the the value pricing and how value pricing would work in a scenario like this. The I, I totally have had the same experience. Exactly the same thing. It's like the thing you think you're going to build at the beginning that if you had scoped it out and made a fifty page spec document is not the thing that gets built the way that the way that I would value price projects back then, and they did need to be projects for it to, to work, uh, was that there was there was a business outcome that the software was being created for. So if I if I had if I didn't have a prospect who could articulate a business outcome, you know, they're trying to increase productivity by 50% or they're trying to like whatever it is, then and it usually was productivity. And that didn't map to something beneficial for the business that everybody in the room could easily understand. If that didn't exist, I would probably pass on the project. But if it did exist, then that was the goalpost. It wasn't some list of features or whatever. It was like, we need to increase productivity by 50% so we don't have to buy a bigger, you know, hire more people and buy a bigger building. So, okay, if that's the goal, then, then I, as the developer, would have a massive amount of latitude in how I accomplish that. So it would definitely change along the way. And that was in my best interest because if, if, if some, if, if halfway through the project, we were like, oh, you know, it would really help increase productivity if it was like this. And then I would want to do that. I would want to throw away the code that was going in the wrong direction and, and start in the correct direction, because that means I'm going to be done sooner. So the sooner I get done, the more money I make profit wise. So it's, so I, the reason I bring it up is because there's no disconnect between a, a sort of unclear scope at the beginning, which always exists, right? There's no disconnect there because that's not, that wouldn't be my target. My target wasn't some particular list of features. So I, I didn't do waterfall when I was doing, doing software, right. it was very much, you know, iterative, but, but the client and they would generally never decide like, you know what, we don't really care about <laughs> productivity for the better. We changed our mind about that. What we'd really rather improve is morale. It, that never happened to me where someone changed the desired outcome halfway through the project or something like that. So it's actually not, I, I just wanted to, to, for, for a mutual friend, sort of <laughs> explain that it's not a question of like, I can't give a fixed price because I don't know the scope up front. It's like, you never know the scope up front. You can still give a fixed right. price though. Right. Right. Well, and, and I think too, like, I, I think you're, you know, sort of prospect qualifications are are different than than mine. And and some of it honestly is I, I'm sure maybe a little touchy feely for me. Like, do I vibe with this client? Do I like where they're trying to go? And and am I willing to deal with the ambiguity um of yes, I understand the the business objectives that they're trying to get to. I don't understand how to quantify them. Um a lot a lot of that, you know, sort of quantification is is stuff that I that really honestly doesn't factor in a ton for me in in finding right clients a lot of it is is for me finding right clients is about are these people that i have a high degree of confidence that that they can embrace change as a part of the work that we do together mm -hmm. so, so what is it okay so as you're as you're 
you make the agreement. And the agreement is that for X amount of, I don't know, person hours, developer hours per month or, and then they pay you monthly. Is that how it works? Is this, it's the flat fee every month or something like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a flat monthly fee and, and it's, it scales based on how much capacity they want. Okay. And they decide that based on how quickly things are getting completed? In effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or how quickly they want stuff to get completed. All right. And how, so how does that go? Do you do like, like sprint planning every two weeks or something? And they say, here's all the stuff that we want done. And how much do you think you can get through? Yeah. In, in effect. In effect, but there's also the work of like refining. Here's the stuff that you want done. Okay, so so tell me more. Let's let's understand. Okay, what's the value inside of this? Is there a quicker way that we can get to that value? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can we can we build a skateboard out of this before we build a, a complete car out of this? Yeah, I love that. No, yeah, I love that one. Okay, and so there's so it's very consultative, and that happens how often? Um, Again, it depends. So, so smaller clients, which is which is to say, clients that that use less capacity, um, that'll be less often because you know it's it's a meeting. Meetings are you know people generally see them as overhead. I <laughs> I don't see them that way, but you know perception is reality. <laughs> um, sometimes it's as often as weekly or even multiple times a week, especially if there's a big push or if if there's um, there's a need for yeah we're gonna have to change direction here because we have this thing that just came up this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's pretty fluid and, and you, your promise to them is that we'll do our, we'll, well, what is your promise? Um, you're going to see a continuous stream of, of updates to the software from mm-hmm. week to week. Okay. And that's based on how you collaborate with us in terms of priority. And those changes, we're trusting you to work with us to make sure that those changes are valuable to your business. Okay. So that's cool. That sounds good. Uh, but your, your price doesn't fluctuate unless they want more or less capacity. So no exactly. matter how much value you're creating, you know, it's like, oh, this was a total game changer. This is going to, you know, save us a million dollars a year. It's like, okay. I mean, that's what you want because of course they're going to, they're going to, that's just more money that they're going to send your way. Correct. But it doesn't fluctuate based on, uh, okay. So how, but let me, I'll set the context for this next question. In my experience, which is, you know, maybe different, the, the type of clients that I would work with, that I worked with back then, there was usually, I'd usually get brought in for like uh, a big initial kind of thing. Like there was a, there was um, a big change happening. A lot of times it was something like, uh, we need, we need to get off paper because it's limiting the growth of our business. We need to get over to digital. We don't know anything about it. We don't know how to do it. And we heard you or an expert, so we wanted to bring someone in for this, this initial big push that uh, there was usually a phase where we would, a paid phase after the initial uh, sort of sales interview and all of that, and there would be like a paid phase where we went deep on what is the MVP here, like your skateboard thing, like what is the minimum viable thing that we can do here that is going to give us maximum results, so the 80-20 rule, uh, and then what maybe is the thing after that and after that and after that, and just in broad strokes, you know, like sure, like module, like, okay, we're going to do all the internal facing stuff first, or we're going to do the stuff for the accounting department first. And then we really need a client portal because we're getting, you know, clients breathing down our neck and leaving for competitors who do have client portals. They really want a client portal. So maybe that's next priority, but big, they're almost like independent projects there. They could almost be big enough to be like that. So we'd kind of plan it out and get a rough idea of, of what the, 
the overall landscape was ultimately going to look like roughly. So I, I used to describe it to people like, like a city block. It's like, we know, we want to know roughly like what kind of buildings are going to be on this city block while we're in this phase of putting in sewers and electricity and plumbing and other stuff. We're not going to build it all at once, but we want to have the infrastructure in place so that we can tie into it when the next skyscraper goes up and when the laundromat goes in, you know, figuratively speaking. Sure. So that was like an upfront phase where I just tried to get a sense of like the, the, probably the three to five year scope of the, of the project and how much utility work we needed to do up front that was not over engineering, but was, you know, we're also not going to shoot ourselves in the foot and then we would do it. And there'd be this, like, there'd be some cutover. There was a lot of times there was a, a phase after the build, after that, there'd be this first paid phase, it's sort of architecture phase. And then there'd be this like, okay, it'd start building. And then there'd be at some point there'd be a cutover, like either from an old system to the new system or, the team was going to start doing their work um, in the computer instead of on paper. There was usually some kind of cutover. And after that, and then there'd be a stability phase where it was like a little bit rocky at first. And then we'd sort of just figure I'd be on call to like figure that stuff out. So it was a little bit hectic, but then it would normalize and it would kind of like the paint would kind of dry and the lower priority stuff, not the, the, the less urgent stuff, maybe seemed even less urgent because, wow, this is so much better. And it would kind of move into a, there was two things that would happen after that. One was that they were not, they didn't have an appetite or budget to keep going full force with software development when they're like, you know, they do something like do maintenance for forklifts or something like that. They're like not trying to build a software company. And they would, they would have either like the 80, 20 role was enough. They're like, this is good enough. Let's stop spending on this and we're, we're good. Uh, so either, so there was that. And then there was people who did want me to stick around to continue to add the features that weren't in the MVP. Sometimes that would happen. Uh, but then the, the sort of most common situation was they needed somebody to do maintenance on the thing. As you said at the beginning, it's, you know, it's never done. There's always, you know, some OS update on some computer somewhere and stuff breaks and like the API's changed or something. And there's this maintenance work that that kind of never goes away. Uh, it's not super high value to them. They're kind of like annoyed that they have to change the oil in this thing that they thought would never need an oil change. Um, but yeah, so that, that would kind of, in, in my world, I would give that work to somebody else. I usually did not want to hang around for the support stuff. So all of that, that huge preamble said, it sounds like you're optimized for that middle one where the sort of feature development, this is not support, it sounds like. It sounds like you you want to uh, uh, orient your business around this continual feature development. Is that is that fair to say or is it more support or? Yeah, I, I think that is fair to say. And and. I also like, and and this is this is you know of course the um, the quirks of the medium. When when you said the word cutover, I like I had an eye twitch because like there's just so many <laughs> so many experiences over the past two decades of okay, it's cutover day. Here we go. Oh, yeah. and- PTSD. I know. <laughs> I'm a big fan of having uh, easy ways to roll back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. And. Um, Yes, optimize for feature development. And one of the things that I really try to focus on is is incredibly, extremely lean MVPs, like as bare bones as possible and only published to an, an incredibly limited, trustworthy audience because those people working through it and 
pretending like, okay, this is the real deal. And can I actually do my job using this system as opposed to the old, the old way of doing it? That's the best way to get the feedback. And that process of here, we're going to put some software in place for you. It's bare bones. It, it doesn't do a whole lot. It's not super pretty. It's not super optimized for your workflow, but it does work end to end. And then that process of gathering that feedback, finding, okay, what's, what's the next most important thing, um, what I've, what I've discovered over the years is that, that that process right there of figuring out how, how do we take this skeletal software system and put, you know, put flesh on it and make it work more smoothly and more smoothly and more smoothly over time. What I've found is that if you can do that with a limited audience and grow it and grow it and grow it, that works so much better and it sort of de-risks the cutover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, philosophically speaking, we are exactly aligned in terms of how we like to run a software project like i'm the exact same way uh we just price differently so i would mm -hmm. i would and i was less interested in the it was always my experience that the the there was decreasing return on over the course of time like at a certain point things are good enough and the right. client is just like you know we're all set we're good and and i would i would try to i sort of oriented myself to to for that moment to be as soon as possible versus trying to make it as as late as possible because it wasn't my favorite kind of work you know like i've i i loved i would sort of get off on the like oh my god like this is a game changer and like later when i would add a reporting module and someone would be like oh thanks i i just didn't enjoy it you know <laughs> yeah it's, it's hard to get excited doing, about but... adding yet another column to a you know 12 column wide report exactly right like i loved the i i really loved that that like omg this is going to revolutionize the business stuff so i would get kind of bored of you know oh could you move these fields around it's like nah, just get someone cheaper you know like like I'll, I'll introduce you to someone who i think is is really good and uh, and they'll totally take care of you but i never had employees though so that's a big big difference because if you've got a bench sitting there right you need, you know, you've got payroll every month. You, you want those people to be utilized, correct? Absolutely. Right. So that, that ongoing, can you add a column to this report type of stuff? There's no end to it. So it's, a, it is a good way to, uh, you know, keep people busy, make a margin on the, the Delta between what you're paying them and what you're getting paid from the client. And so, so that makes, I mean, it's a model. It's definitely a model that I see uh, other people doing. Now, so another just random thought was, do you charge, is it the same for all clients? So like for, for one full-time developer equivalent, is it the same for all clients or do you do it differently for different clients? Um, I mean, the, the model is the same and, and the pricing is, is more or less the same for all clients. So mm -hmm. I, I divide my team into shares. And so I, you know, I say based on here are the people that I have here, here, here is their collective, you know, skills and experience. I think we have about five shares of capacity. Okay. So I, I will sell five shares of capacity and those are, our, that's our clientele based on how many shares they want to buy. Mm -hmm. So, so is it like they're buying credits and they spend the credits or is it more like every month they either increase or decrease the capacity that they want, but if they don't change anything by the first of the month, then their credit card is going to get run for $20,000. Um, so the, the intent there is, is basically you're already paying for this. So work with us to make sure that we've got a running list that's prioritized well of things that you would like, like to see changed or 
features that you would like to see added and we will do that i see okay so yeah. like they... one, one of one of the health indicators that i use is do we have an ever-growing list of stuff to do mm -hmm. I, that's yeah it's hard I, what kind of a, like what's a can you say what kind of business a, a, one of your clients is in that has an ever-growing list of things to do sure um they are a services company um so they have they have employees that that do work out in the field they yes. um okay. they they bill their customers for for time so they they're an hourly billing company mm -hmm. which is really really interesting to have this conversation with them <laughs> because the, their mentality of course is all is is completely in in the in the hourly billing world but then right. they also have you know things like for instance um you know they have expenses that they have to pass through in in billing in some cases they have expenses that they eat and and just consider overhead internally Mm -hmm. And there's, there are a lot of really interesting and intricate business rules that they have for, um, who gets billed for what, if anybody. Interesting. And, and, uh, and they have an ever growing list of software feature requests or so, something like that. So far. Yes. And, and when I say ever growing, I mean it, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's getting long and, and really it's, it's an issue of like, there's, there's product management that needs to happen there because like they, they probably need to be organized thematically. You know, they, you, we need to find the alignment between here's, here's this pile of features that probably gets categorized this way. And here's how that relates to, you know, business objectives, A, B, or C. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're not quite there yet with that ever growing list. And, and that's something that's on my radar. And that's also some of, some of the work that I do and some of the value proposition of what our company provides. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's kind of like, I still, I still am not clear. Like, do they pay the same amount every month unless they yeah. change something? Okay. So, and they get some number of credits like audible or something. And <laughs> is that yeah. And, and again, like what I'm not doing is I'm, I'm not saying, well, okay, you spent this and this, this is the number of hours equivalent. And this is, this is the number of hours that a programmer has sat with their, with their, you know, hind end in a seat. Mm -hmm. tapping on a keyboard right like i don't do that right and so the credits correspond to like so after some exposure to this system the client starts to get a sense of like how many credits it's going to take for a particular task to get completed or something yeah and and it's probably going to be more like how many tasks per credit rather than credits per task okay all right um okay so the so the battle that you'll wage it well you know it's like it's it's that's overstating it but is that they continue to feel like it's worth it mm -hmm. right and so it presumably unless they get to just based on my experience presumably that will eventually the the amount that they're spending eventually well they'll, they'll just decrease the capacity they'll decrease the number of shares that they buy right so they can just sort of tail off like that as the value that they're getting unless they had some like new okay now great we did the whole marketing system and that's sort of tailed off into small support requests and now we're going to do the accounting system right like they have a whole brand new side of the business or line of business that they want to sort of make digital digital transformation type of thing mm -hmm. unless they do that i've i can't think i mean maybe you're, once you're or riding twice. my wave bro like that's that's exactly <laughs> what it is and yeah. and yes there are going to be times where they're going to say you know what we don't we don't need this many shares how about we taper this off to you know two shares for you know, six months and then we'll reevaluate. Like, and mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the name of the game there for me, because I still want enough engagement there so that I can, I can sort of be a strategic partner with them and help them understand here based on your business goals, as you've articulated them, 
um, here are your options from a software perspective that you can explore in pursuit of those goals. Mm, right. Yeah. So you can kind of stay engaged. And if one of those second, you know, a new big project comes along, then you, of course, would be the first person they talk to. Right. And, and that so that that point, that point where the, the essentially the the shares or the credits start to dwindle mm -hmm. down, the, how many they buy start to dwindle down. Since I didn't have employees, I was never interested in that work. Right. Because I was like, that was the stuff that I did not enjoy. So I'd be like, you know, let me just hand you off to someone else. Right. And, right, and so. like my first year and a half in business, it was basically me, me doing that very same kind of work. And a, a lot of what I was doing there is I'd have my one big client and then I had a handful of smaller clients um, for work, basically what I called startup coaching. Mm -hmm. So um, having, having been a software developer and eventually, you know, software architect, director of technology, that sort of thing, I was doing, I, I was finding myself in, in these engagements where I have a startup founder who's not a software person and they need somebody to help them make decisions as it relates right. to who do they hire? What are, what are the software needs right now? What are the software needs that we can just kick down the road for a few months or a few years possibly? Right. And this, this line of business where I'm doing software development, um, sort of grew out of that soft, that startup coaching area. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the flip side of that is I absolutely did not take on work where I'm, I'm responsible for the care and feeding of some system somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That you're describing my advisory retainer basically. So like after I got out of the, after I got tired of coding for money, I went pure advisory mm -hmm. and would sort of oversee, not manage, but oversee a project to with a, a client who's generally not that technical who had outside agencies building stuff for them right and i was their advocate in the room who couldn't be bs'd by right the you know the agencies uh or, or vice versa sometimes the client would have a completely unrealistic expectation and i would have to set them straight so uh, but yeah so that's interesting so what is what do you so looking toward the future I'm not saying everything everyone needs to grow or, or that you need to grow, but you did say you're looking at hiring more. So what what is what does that growth look like? Is it adding headcount and um, sort of increasing the number of clients, increasing your capacity so that you can sell it to more clients, or is there is there is there like what is, what what do you think your plans are for the next few years? Is there anything about um, this model that you would change now that you've got some experience with it? All those sorts of questions. So. Canyon Trail is really a mission-driven organization. And so my, the future that I'm looking towards really is about um, two things. One, it's it's growing software developers with the skills that they need. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really important to me because I think there are way, way, way too many underskilled software developers out there in the world who are doing the best they can and and are doing it with the best of intentions, but they just don't know what they don't know. And they struggle or they get thrown into a project um, where they're just completely out of their depth. And, and that always goes sideways. Right. So what I want to do, you know, sort of long-term over a period of years is, is grow up software developers that, that know what they're doing and, you know, have, have a reasonable realistic expectation of here's, here's where I am in my career and here's what I can and can't handle. Mm -hmm. And here's my path for gaining those skills that I don't yet have. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then the other side of it also is engaging with businesses and, you know, sort of cultivating um, the knowledge of I'm, you know, for for a business where where it's being led by somebody that's not a software person, 
it, that's a really awkward position for a leader to be in. I don't know anything about software development yet. I'm, I'm responsible for leading it or managing it or, or, or something like that, or I'm responsible for hiring an agency that's doing it. How do, how do I hold them accountable? How do I know they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And so those, those two sides of, um, growing the developers and also growing some knowledge for business leaders. Like that's, that's my mission and that's my goal. And, you know, you know, sort of getting back into the nuts and bolts of what I think you were asking. Um, my goal is to, is to grow teams and, you know, find that balance between, I don't want too many people on a team um, because too many people on a team probably means projects that are way too big. Yeah. Um, I also don't want teams that are too small because, you know, that, that makes it hard to sort of say, we're going to sell this many shares of this team's capacity and there's not a whole lot of wiggle room. There's not a whole lot of margin. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, so our, our friend who introduced us, we kind of wanted to talk about, to have us talk about sort of this model versus the value pricing model. And I think for someone who wants value, backing up value, the, the sort of beauty of value pricing is that you can create leverage and scale up your revenue and profits as a soloist extremely high mm-hmm. much, much higher than any other any kind of like hourly or um, other even cost plus fixed price or even your model sure but you can there are other ways to create leverage in a business and your yours is a one that works for people who don't mind having employees and you're the exact kind of person i talk about when i talk about the kind of person who I think it's okay if they do hire employees, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, because if someone really doesn't want to grow teams and doesn't really care about, you know, they just don't want employees. They don't want to, that daily experience. Uh, and they aren't looking, they're not interested in becoming a great leader or whatever. And, and then those people go and hire anyway, because the only way they know how to scale up is, is by adding headcount. Those are the people that are, that, that, keep me up nights. I don't want them to be hiring people because they feel like it's their only option. But you're, like I said, you're the exact kind of person. Like I think your head's completely in the right place for hiring. So, you know, that's your, that will be your way to to scale up. So if people listening to this are, uh, I don't know, maybe a little surprised that I'm not against this model. I'm really not because you've got the right attitude. It is a way to scale. It is something that you could end up selling if you I don't know if, if you needed to, you'd be creating all these systems and creating a process in these teams. And, and it's not, I mean, the growth path is probably kind of linear, but it, you know, it'll be tied directly to headcount more or less. And over time, you'll probably find that you have to, you know, if you do want to keep increasing revenue, it, it's going to be a pretty much one-to-one relationship with hiring employees, but you're cool with that. So I think that's yes. cool. And like, well, first off, thank you. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm really just like sort of beside myself um, on on your commentary on the on the model. So I, I appreciate it, and um, I'm also really curious if if you do have any any nuggets of wisdom to offer. the The other thing that stands out to me is that like, yes, I agree. As it stands today, the model is probably going to be linear. Um, I am hoping for uh, over time, and this this may require getting funding. This may require just just building up capital over time. I would love to be able to mix in this model with, you know, like um, some sort of equity share. And, and because I'm, I'm primarily looking at startups um, that's, you know, that's a currency that startups usually work with is right. okay. We can't pay you in cash, but we can pay you in equity. 
Yeah, I, I know some people who've gotten very rich from that. So mm -hmm. if you've got the cash flow for it and right. you have the risk tolerance that it takes and you can you can lose nine out of ten of them right. and still come out ahead, then that's absolutely an approach. Yeah, uh, and it, I would yeah. love to do that. I don't have the capital yet. Um, that's that's the hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a that's a home run path, right? Like, like if you if you know, uh, we don't know each other, but like, let's just say someone who wanted to really strike it rich, you know, like really have game changing income one year. Uh, that's a path that that can deliver that. You know, st starting an agency is a. It's more linear. It's more predictable. And, you know, if, if at some point in the future you were like overwhelmed with all the employees or something, it doesn't sound like that would happen to you. You seem like you really invested in growing the employees and their skills and like helping them become better at what they do. So that's so you probably won't get sick of it. Um, it's really those people who who saw employees as their only hope of getting out of the hole that they're in and they didn't really want them in the first place. and They don't really care about them. Uh, then it's just like it's like having kids to save the marriage it's like not oh, not geez. a good move not a good move um, well I, I i think that's the perfect metaphor for that and one of one of the interesting things too is is like you know i, I started with canyon trail because i was enjoying basically lead, leading organizations away from the path of destruction that they were on yeah and you know that's a skill set that it took me you know 15 years to build yeah, and that expertise you could sell independently. That sort right. of startup, what did you call it? Startup coaching? Right. Yeah, you could sell that independently as a sort of advisory thing for five figures a month probably to the, to sure. the right people. Sure. Uh, and the the interesting thing about that is like I, I cannot scale that. Like there, there's no way I can hire people who can do that and take a margin on their time because if, right. if they It'd have those expensive. skills, they're going to be doing it on their own. <laughs> right, they'll be too expensive. Exactly. Well, cool. I, you know, I'm looking at the clock. I know we have to wrap up, but I, you know, I think, I mean, the path that you're on works. It's not, it's not, it's certainly not broken. Not that, not that we thought it was, but for people listening who this is not a kind of model that I usually talk about. So I'm glad to have you on to sort of as an example for people who really do want to be a leader and really do want to grow their employees and make them better and make their lives better. Give people, you know, a, a leg up for people like that. Hiring employees is absolutely a valid way to scale a business up, you know, and create leverage. So, you know, hopefully, uh, people will hear this and reach out to you if they if they're if they're the same way, maybe get tips or something like that. I don't know, you know, where can people go to to find out more about what you're doing? To see your absolutely beautiful website, by the way. Oh <laughs> and, wow, thank you, thank oh, you so much. It. Yeah, I love it, and uh, yeah, and just maybe maybe hit you up on social media or Twitter or something like that. Sure. So uh, I am at Software Floyd on Twitter. Um, my website is canyon-trail.com. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Floyd. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. Cool. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. 
If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.